following me to episode three uh thank you also for tuning into episodes one and two uh if this is your first time here welcome and if you've come back for more i got some more for you this topic is near and dear to my heart and to my dna because we will be discussing all the sazon and adobo that comes with being a hispanic nurse in labor and delivery in travel in life in everything um we'll be talking about some statistics but more so just talking about my own personal experience uh definitely would love to collaborate with other people if they ever want to sit at a round table but for now i'd like for you to enjoy the show hi welcome thank you for tuning in so today's topic is something that's near and dear to my heart and my dna like i said it's it's something that i cannot change about myself and that's how hispanic i am um I came from two Latin cultures. My mother is Ecuadorian and my father is Puerto Rican, uh, right down the middle. And I have to say that growing up, it wasn't easy. Dealt with uh, imposter syndrome, I guess you can say, just not thinking that I deserved the, the talents or the merit or the, the success or the spirit that I had and that I knew I had inside. Um, and I'm not really too sure where it started or how it started. There wasn't much to be learned from my mother, except that my mother, who is amazing, and she didn't pay me to say that, is absolutely amazing, came to this country at 18 years old, one child in hand and pregnant with another child, did not speak a lick, a lick of English, learned English through us. She spoke to us in English, so then we can in turn speak to her in English and she can learn the language. She did not let anything, her lack of education, she didn't let anything handicap her. She went back to school, got her GED, but at that time it was a high school diploma that she obtained and uh, went to nursing school and went on to become a nurse. Um, she inspired me to go into nursing school. And honestly, I cannot say that there's more of, more of a fighter than I know than my mom. Now, my father, on the other hand, he's from Puerto Rico, uh, definitely visited the country. Uh, well, I mean, we all are part one country, right? Can't say that Puerto Rico is not part of us, but um, came to the United States in uh, very early on visiting as a visitor. So he learned the language here and there and, and was able to get by. Still broken, but he never let that handicap him either. He never went to you know a place and said hey spanish speaking only no he he actually tried to to listen and if he didn't listen he would definitely nod his head in in uh accordance that he thought he was actually understanding when he wasn't but my dad was a character too um but my parents didn't raise me with that handicap and i developed it i guess maybe because in the where i lived it was predominantly mixed and then growing like now, it would be more um, predominantly Hispanic, like one in every three. And I may be just making that up because, you know, Hispanics always exaggerate. Um, but nevertheless, I, it was, uh, I probably thought that in my mind, I was too white for my Hispanic friends and too Hispanic for my white friends. And I, at a young age, did not have that 
in me or the the uh, spirit of having to be able to kind of level it out. I didn't know how. There, there was no way of knowing how I was going to level that out. But growing up in high school, I did all the things. I was a ballerina cheerleader. So, you know, I was mixed in both sides. I didn't allow it to crutch me one way or another, except in, you know, obviously the, the having a large family, which culturally is something that uh, a lot of us is not only Hispanic cultures, you know, there are a lot of cultures that have uh, huge families. So with that being said, I, when I got into nursing as a Hispanic nurse, I probably did not really realize how much that meant early on. I don't think I realized at all what that meant. Um, I didn't come to start realizing until I wanted more. I went like on with everybody, you know, it was the passion. It was the, the wanting to help people. Uh, I didn't grow up in a, I guess you would say nuclear Hispanic household where the uh, parents aged and then the children took care of the parents and kind of everybody lived in the same house because I was in a split household from very early. I was seven when I was in a split household. I would go to my dad's on the weekend and I would be at my mom's. And my, my grandmother, when she aged to a certain extent, she went in through the children and then she wound up having to go to a nursing home because of her illness um, and then passing. So I didn't see that, that culture. I just wanted to take care of people. And I think it was because when I had my son, I was 18 years old, shy. Like, I mean, literally I spit and I became 18 years old. I, I had him on May the 5th and my birthday was April the 7th. So I literally just turned 18. And I saw the way the nurses were taking care. And I guess it, gained, it, it sent a momentum, a little bit of curiosity in me. My brother, my brother Dennis, became a nurse. He was a nurse first, and then my mom, and then myself. So all three of us, actually, we all went through the same LPN training first. Uh, and, and then I went on to go get my, uh, my RN later on. And I think that nursing for me, as like I said, a Hispanic in nursing, I didn't really realize the, the, the magnitude that I could, you know. It wasn't until I took a, a break from the bedside in 2009 and worked for a Hispanic uh, hospice and home care that I really realized the impact that I can make as a Hispanic nurse. Um, briefly, I did home care and hospice because again, it was not my, my cup of tea. I, it was not something that I enjoyed. I mean, I enjoyed the being able to give back. I enjoyed the being able to give back to my community. I enjoyed the being able to give back to people who can, who are not only, um, crutched because they're sick, but also they're crutched because a lot of things they don't understand. So I was able to give some of that back. I myself didn't learn Spanish until I was 13 because like I said, I lived in a split household and I really didn't have to learn it. I spoke to my mom in English so that she could learn the language. And then I would go to my father's house and he spoke to me in English until my stepmother who did not speak English, I had to be her, her helper when she got pregnant with my little sister. And when we would go to the doctors, I would have to learn how to translate back and forth. So I've been a translator all my life um, and now even more. So when I got into nursing, I mean, nursing as a Hispanic, yeah, you know, you're a translator. You, you are a human translator. And sometimes it's the most rewarding because you know that not, not only is somebody not well, but you are also offering a separate service to them that, that they can 
you know, trust what's being said. Not saying that they're not going to trust it from someone who comes in and speaks to them in English, but they're actually hearing it in their language. And in other words, they're they're not missing a beat. They're not missing a word. Um, and I guess for them, it's it's definitely uh, they're grateful. You know, uh, uh, most of the Hispanic clients, patients, moms that I've had have always said the same thing. Thank you so much for being here. I couldn't have done it without you because they had that extra, that extra that some don't have. As a Hispanic in labor and delivery, we have translator services, but can you imagine sitting there trying to dial up a translator service to with a woman that's in labor and getting ready to have a baby? No. So it's definitely been a rewarding experience for me personally, being a Hispanic in labor and delivery. But while there's upstairs downs, and the downside to being a Hispanic in labor and delivery is you kind of always get the Hispanic patient. Not saying that it's meant that way, not calling anybody out on any type of, you know, prejudice or, or, or predetermined, uh, okay, it's Barbara, you're going to get Mrs. Lopez because she's Spanish. No, I'm just saying that sometimes it just winds up that way. And in a world where I, like I said, learned English, uh, or I'm sorry, learned Spanish when I was 13, sometimes I don't want to speak it. I speak it in my, you know, I, I want to be able to to speak the words comfortably. And sometimes it's uncomfortable when you can't translate a word. And here you are, a Hispanic nurse, looking through Google to try to figure out how to translate a word that you don't often use every day. Conversational Spanish is a lot different than medical Spanish. So being a Hispanic in labor and delivery has come with some challenges because th there's an expectation that you're going to take Mrs. Lopez, you're going to take Mrs. Rodriguez. And I'm not the only one that's felt that. I've spoken up about it. I never spoke up about it. Until recently, I think within the last five years is when I said, hey, listen, I appreciate you, you know, giving me someone and that I can give a little extra care to because you see me as a caring person. But I don't want to speak Spanish every day. I don't want to have to come to work and speak Spanish every day, too. So if we can share the wealth, that would be great. I'm not the only one. I, there's more out there that feel the same way, I'm sure. And uh, like I said, if not, comment in the box, email me, let me know the differences, but we all have that same feeling, you know? So me as a Hispanic nurse in labor and delivery, it has come with the goods and with the pants. And then um, as, as far as Hispanic nurse and travel, so this is something that I just realized. Being a Hispanic nurse, or at least me, is kind of difficult. Where I'm at, and I, I think I spoke about it briefly in one of the other episodes, I am in Wichita, Kansas. And in Wichita, Kansas, I will tell you that there are not many Spanish places. So if I get homesick and want a little bit of ethnic food, it's predominantly like Mexican food, um, not even subculturally. At least when I was in Miami, there was a lot of Cuban food. And, you know, there were a couple of Puerto Rican places. I like Puerto Rican food. I like Ecuadorian food. There was one Ecuadorian place in Miami. I probably would venture to think that if I Googled, I could not find an Ecuadorian place here anywhere within the two to 300 mile radius, let's just say. And I'm guess I'm making it up again, you know, Hispanic being a little cuckoo and a little exaggerated, blah, blah, blah. But nevertheless, like I said, you know, it's, it's definitely difficult to be a travel nurse and a Hispanic. Again, the hospital that I work for that I'm at now, they are so super sweet to me. Uh, they're all of them are very nice. They don't expect anything. There's Hispanic patients. I've seen them on the board. 
Hispanic patients and they don't expect for me to take them. I mean, obviously if I offered it, but they have their own translator service. They have a, a in-phone translating service that makes it easy. And if they can do it, they can do it. You know, it's, it's good. You know, they don't even care that I'm Hispanic. Um, but subculturally in that environment, you know, it does make a difference to me because I can't, I, there's a, you know, I don't know if I could find the ingredients that I need, let's say if I wanted to make sofrito, if I wanted to make, you know, something homemade, home cooked, I would really have to venture off. So it is kind of difficult to be a Hispanic travel nurse, you know? Um, now this is the difficult one, Hispanic in leadership. So let's talk about a Hispanic nurse who is pursuing a leadership role. Um, there are not many, I will tell you. I've looked up some statistics and I, the representation is very low. But it is difficult. You know, there are preconceived notions, I feel. And I'm, I mean, this could be argumentative. And if it is, then whatever. But I, this is my show, my opinion. Um, they're preconceived notions. It could it be that, you know, maybe leadership, uh, upper, upper management don't think that somebody's qualified, uh, you know, because of A, B, or C reason. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the, maybe it could be. Could it be the preconceived notion that we're a little more passionate than the rest? I have gotten that a lot. And just recently um, that I was too passionate. Um, I don't know if that meant too telenovela, which I can relate. I am a little telenovela sometimes, but I've never allowed anything in my culture to deviate the way that I perform nursing. So I speak about it because I'm vocal. And if that makes me passionate, then so be it, because I'd rather be vocal than not. I was talking to somebody about the case of the decapitated baby and said, wow, you're really even keeled about it. How do you how do you think that it was a group of people and not just one person's responsibility? And I said, because if it was one person response, if it was one person that was responsible for that baby being decapitated, then there was five other people that were standing there that could have stopped it. So if they didn't stop it, they are just as much responsible. And if they did try to stop it, it would never happen, right? So I think that it's a collaborative. And uh, that was kind of going off. I, sometimes I get into a soapbox and go off. Okay, let's get into some statistics. So statistics. Ah. All right. So let's take a moment to explore um, what the current representation is in the healthcare industry. So according to data, 6.9% of the 52 million nurses in the U.S are or identify as Hispanic. That's a that's less than 10%. And when I looked at numbers from 2010, it only deviated like 0.3%. And when I looked overall on different sites and, and different resources, it only deviated one to 2%. That's still altogether less than 10% of nurses, of the 52 million nurses are, are, are related to Hispanic. Hispanic nurse managers account for 14.5% representation. So while the statistics may vary in different resources, um, you know, maybe because of the specific region or the demographic area, who knows why, there's still a poor representation. And clearly it's evident because some data that I saw on nursing associations, healthcare organizations, and government reports say that it's an evolving landscape. In other words, they see this as a problem. They're, they're looking at reasons to why. They're looking at trying to figure out the, the whys of it. Some sources do suggest that there's a growing awareness and a need for diversity at uh, leadership levels. And while there's no one size fits all, 
initiatives by organizations like the ANA or the National Institute or the National Association for um, Hispanic Nurses are definitely working towards become, getting that inclusivity, uh, including that representation, increasing those numbers. And I, um, I thank them for it because, like I said, you know, it, it's part of everybody's journey. Um, statistics are just part of the story. It's the journey, the person's, uh, the, the nurse, the one who wants to excel. It's, it's her journey. And, and the fact that this is a collaborative process can allow for that nurse to start feeling supported, especially when she doesn't. Like I said, if, if nurses are like me, you know, uh, some of them may or may not deal with that imposter syndrome. They believe that, you know, they don't deserve what they get or, you know, they're stuck to a stigma of an imposter syndrome that they don't deserve what they get or what they have or the talents that they have. You know, let's talk about some things, you know, there are some stereotypes and biases that can impact opportunity for advancement for Hispanic nurses. There are some preconceived notions about cultural competence, leadership abilities, career aspirations that can hinder us from developing and from accessing those leadership roles. And I'm not just saying that, I'm definitely not saying that without any evidence of having seen it for myself, because I have, or I've heard it, um, not only through my own experiences, but through like-minded individuals and, and even, uh, you know, let's be real from other cultures that say, wow, you know, such and such should have gotten the job, but I think she didn't get the job because she's Hispanic. That's a preconceived notion. That's, that's in, in, you know, by definition is kind of what, you know, it is, you know, they didn't think that she was good enough. They didn't think that he was good enough to get that job because he was Hispanic. And I've never, to be honest, have been told that, but obviously would I have been told that? Could, could a manager be 110% honest with me and say, hey, I didn't give you that position because you're Hispanic. No, they'll say, I didn't give you that position because you're too passionate. And then, you know, that's up for you to decide. That, that, I'm not going to get on that soapbox. Um, there's also limited access to mentorship and professional networks to uh, influence the career advancement. Um, obviously, time is of the essence. And if most of us culturally know, you know, Hispanics have large families and predominantly the man is out of the house working 110% of the time. He comes home and enjoys his time. You know, mom has to be mom all the time. A Hispanic mom is always a Hispanic mom. All the, never stops. It's, it's a 24 seven cycle. Um, now try searching for a role model. And then this is another thing. Try searching for a role model who has successfully climbed the Hispanic leadership ladder. Find me somebody. I mean, yes, we see it, you know, obviously, uh, Superior Court Judge uh, Sotomayor. We see it in other areas. But find me a Hispanic nurse who climbed the ladder. And I will tell you, I did find one, which was the director of the home care and hospice, the, the owner of the home care and hospice. She grew herself. She was one of, in what, my 23 years that I've seen as a Hispanic leader who has grown herself. Um, definitely a woman who came to this country, taking care of her parents, going back to school for her RN, for her BSN, for her MSN, for her doctorate. She went back to school and then she grew a company on top of that. So, you know, those things are, are great, but I'm not 
That's one in 23 years. So imagine your average nurse, your average Hispanic nurse who's 20 years old, and the the percentages on the lack of representation, they probably may or may not ever see it, you know? Um, there are some social, and there are also some economic barriers that can limit the quality of education or professional development, education or opportunities. So, you know, if you're a single mom, a single Hispanic mom, you're just making it and you're working as an RN, you may or may not have the resources to go get national certification. It's pricey. It's pricey to be away from home for a weekend to go to a uh, retreat to learn um, and to have that, you know, uh, professional development opportunity available to you. Um, nurses can struggle uh, without these resources. You know, I was looking at one data block that showed that on the pay scale range, Hispanic and African-American nurse managers make at least 10% less than other managers. And it was crazy. I had to click off because I didn't want to get into a, a I didn't want to get a, some, some poison in my head on that one. Um, like I was saying earlier, in some Hispanic cultures, there's family obligations and responsibilities that are ingrained and trying to balance these roles may be difficult for your average nurse, you know, depending on how many children you have, depending on the responsibility, depending on what your mate does. If you have a mate, if you have family, if you have resources available, you know, they can definitely be an impact on your career. Um, this, the underrepresentation in Hispanic nurses and leadership it can create a notion that these roles are just unattainable. Hey, this is just, it, it's not going to be for me. It may be for somebody else, but I'm not going to be able to get it. I'll never get it. And that will bring on some type of, like I said, leading to imposter syndromes that you don't deserve it, but you do. Um, it can hinder the vision and the visibility of current achievements. You know, I have to say that I am... I think in most of my positions, I've been involved in something or other, uh, whether it be uh, bringing on some new information, some new innovation to the hospital, or, you know, even just being a support system for my fellow coworkers and nurses to let them feel appreciated. I've always been involved in something. And I have to tell you that if I was looking at it as the value of what I, uh, the reward I got from it, in other words, the appreciation, the the, you know, the achievement, the, the recognition, I didn't. I got the recognition in my fellow coworkers and said, thank you for doing that. That's where I got the recognition. It was, you know, it wasn't up. It wasn't from higher up that I got that recognition. It was straightforward. Um, that lack of recognition and representation, it, de it demotivated me really uh, for a while. Um, and pursuing something, like I said, it, pursuing something higher, it does happen to demotivate you. Other than that, you know, like I said, there's nothing that I can really attest to the why I'm talking about this, except I feel like it does need to have an open forum. I think that there needs to be some discussion. There needs to be some um, just open communication. There may be other people that are going through similar situations. How I overcame them, like I said, my, my God is a great God. And I know that if I do Psalms 23 over my mouth, there's nothing in front of me that will be able to be uh, 
hindering anything that I do. Uh, everything that I touch will turn to gold because I have a, a greater God that's before me. Um, but some people aren't that spiritual. They don't have that spirituality in them to be able to say that. And, you know, how do they get by? What do they do? And, and really, you have to look within yourself and you have to want to strive and want better. And in order to do better, you got to be better. You know, if, if it's broken, fix it. I don't want to hear if it ain't broken, don't fix it. If you don't see something, you're going to always want to climb that ladder. You know, it's kind of like what I was saying in the earlier show. If you have a shoe that's tight, it's going to hurt your feet. And if it's something that's hurting your heart and hurting your soul, man, I want to climb that ladder. Man, I feel like I can make a difference. Then go and do it. Why are you going to put on the same shoes? Go to Nordstrom and get yourself a pair of shoes. Or, you know, if you don't have Nordstrom money, go to Nordstrom Rack and get yourself a pair of shoes, a different pair of shoes that fit. But if you're growing out of something, the, the, that's what you have to do. And, you know, like I said before, we water our own grass, man. We, we have to try to water our own grass before we go watering somebody else's. And, and I want to make my career grow. I do want to make a hospital grow. I do want to make their, you know, the, the future of, of the patients and the, their age cap scores. I want to make them grow too, but I can't do that unless I'm growing myself. It's going to be unequal. There's going to be a point that you start climbing on one hand higher than the other, whether it be that you're climbing and helping your, your organization grow and you're not growing. And that big block between the middle of those two is going to cause a lot of pain one way or another, whether it be in resentment, whether it be in just you know, I, I mean, there's a number of things. I guess resentment is like one of the biggest, right? So I don't really need to speak to about anything else. But resentment is one of the bigger things. You know, being stagnant, you could stagnate you. Yeah, I guess that's the second one. It could stagnate you. You know, you're growing your company and you're you're growing your company at the level that you are. Well, you don't need, you don't feel like you need to grow anymore. You don't feel like you need to make policy changes. Yeah, you may see that a policy could or need to be changed, but are you going to do it? No, because you've already grown them. They're doing well. And, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They're already growing and you're still at the same level. So you might as well stay here. So with that being said, you know, I, I appreciate everything that has come to me. I appreciate all the blessings that have come to me and, and all the knowledge that has come to me and all the, the spirit that has come to me in wanting to grow myself. Um, as a Hispanic nurse, as a nurse period, as a, as an RN, as an RN now with BSN, you know, it's, it's, it's a different level, you know, you, you're growing yourself and, and you start gaining momentum and want to grow at a higher speed. And I, I wish that for everybody. I wish that everybody would have that same drive. Um, if there's one piece of advice I could give to a Hispanic nurse that's, you know, just coming out of school is never stop. Don't let what somebody says or somebody thinks or a preconceived notion, don't let it stop you. Just keep going. And if you have any questions, comments, you know, like I said, write me anytime. And with that being said, I think we're done here. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time. Que bonita que te quiero controlar. Ella
Ella dice que me quiere controlar Nosotros lo vamos a te velar, ma Dime, ¿cómo tú te quieres a venir, ma? Dime, ¿cómo los vamos a conocer, ma? Dime, no te quiero solo ver Quiero compartirte Quiero que te vean y te sigan 